is so good, isn't he? All the time, God is good. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Good to see you here this morning. Man, even Connie's brother came. I mean, that's his wife, Lord. We appreciate you guys being here. I'm glad you're here. I mean, GT needed some help. <laughs> good to have Henry and Susanna with, with us from Freedom House. I know Josh mentioned that earlier. These, I met these folks in Honduras. They, uh, they came down with Pastor Jim Milligan. And uh, we had the privilege of getting to know each other there, and uh, and what a joyous time that was. They, them, some hardworking folk right there, and we sure appreciate you being here this morning. Good to have all of you here. Good to have those who are back with us, who've been out for a little while and are are feeling the ability to be in. Uh, we're so thankful to see you this morning. Amen. Praise the Lord. Mimi, good to see you. You keeping Michael straight? Awesome. Glad to have you guys this morning. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to be speaking out of a scripture that the Lord stirred in my heart at the beginning of the week, and I shared a little bit with our staff on Wednesday. But that scripture is Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3. Jeremiah 33, verse 3, and I'll get to that in just a moment, but you know, when I think about where we are, I think about there's so much joy and hope associated with new beginnings, with beginnings, right? I mean, that moment that that child is first born, how joyous it is to see that precious baby. Amen? To think of all that you have to do with that baby may not bring joy. But just the moment of seeing that precious child and the moments of, of a new romance, the, no, the moments of a, a wedding, a, a new job, and all those things are exciting times, but at the same time, we do not live in a perfect world, do we? Some of you might, but, you know, you're looking through those rose-colored glasses and everything might seem so beautiful to you, but we don't live in a perfect world, and, and inevitably, inevitably, life unfolds, and and, and the things that we thought or anticipated seems to not be as we thought they would be. And too often the journey that began with such hope and promise can be spoiled by sin. Amen. I mean, when you think about it, parents, you know, in, in a day in society where, where, where there's so much animosity, parents estranged from children, you know, uh, how separation of couples causes so much uh, frustration and animosity when the, with homes and the, the, the hardships with children that fall out in the process. And, and all those things happen, you know, divorce and, and all those things, jobs that w were, were thought to be so glorious begin to degenerate into drudgery and you're wondering, oh God. But there's always, there's always hope of a second chance, isn't there? How many, how many have had a second chance in life? There's always hope of a second chance. It's, it isn't wonderful when life off, isn't it wonderful when life offers us a life-giving, hope-filled second chance to, to be reconciled to God's plan, to he, he have a relationship healed from the, by the presence of God. I don't know about you, but as a Christian, 
I remember when I first got saved and how excited I was. I mean, the Word of God seemed like a chocolate pie. I just couldn't get enough of it. Amen. Some of y'all the same way. And I just kept on reading. I wanted more and wanted more. I wanted more of time with God. I wanted more of spending time in relationship and prayer and getting close to the Lord and, and wanting to know more about God's plan and more about God's word. And, and all of that was wonderful. But guess what, guys? We live in a broken world. We live in a broken world. And just as sin affects themselves, it affects everybody. And sometimes even Christians begin to feel like, God, why are you so distant? We feel because we as Christians, just like anyone else, feels the economic stress. We feel the hardship of separations. We feel the struggles of sin. We feel the temptations of the world. We, we feel those things and we often also find ourselves distant from the Lord. And as a, res as a result, many times churches are filled with people who, who declare their faith in Christ Jesus but are so dry and hungry for something more. Amen. Oh me, God help us, right? I mean, when you think about the, de the deplorable condition of our world today, it's really not because of the vicious, morally deadening influence of media. It's not because of corruption in business. It's not because of the lack of godly leaders in government. It is due to the fact that there are lifeless, powerless churches who are struggling to know God and there are no effect to the kingdom of God and we need the body of Christ to awaken once again to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. We need a revival of the presence of God to permeate and stir us once again. Amen. Amen. I believe that there are people who are truly wanting God's mighty move but yet on the other hand they're wondering why when they look at historical movements of God and they see how God used to move they're wondering God why are you do it, not doing that now what's happened where are we at what's going on how many understand that I mean when you think about it there are pastors who are literally walking in burnout in epidemic levels Literally last year, there were some phenomenal, high-energy you know, pastors, young, vibrant for the kingdom of God, who literally quit ministry, committed suicide because of the, the struggle of raising up church, their own church, to come out of lethargic ways to experience the power of God. But I believe that even in the midst of the struggle, while there's individuals who might experience the Lord here and there, and while, while there's those who are still saying, God, where are you and why aren't you here? I believe that even in the midst of all of that, that the answer of God, that the, the question that, that is posed, that God says, here's the answer, if 
you will call on me. Jeremiah 33, call on me and I will answer you. And I will show you great and mighty things which you know not. The word, the word great and mighty literally mean unsearchable. Uh, another version calls hidden because it's literally like walking up to a city of Jericho and the walls be so high that you can't see on the other side and yet you want what's on the other side. And God's saying, if you will call on me, I will answer you and I will show you what's on the other side of the wall that's been holding you back. I will show you what's on the other side of the struggle that you're facing. I will give you the answer. I will revive you, says the Lord. God, help us to understand that as we call out before the Lord, it's not the greatest it's not going to be the greatest author who writes a, another great Christian book that will stir us. It's not going to be the next trendy convention that we can go to that will, that will cause us to find the answer. It's not all of the mainstream Christian ideas that are floating out there. It is but God. God is the only way. He's the only truth. He's the only life. He's the only way to the Father. And the only way we are to be revived by the presence and power of God is through Him. We can have every trendy move we want to have, but let me tell you, revival will not come through a trendy move. Revival will come when the people of God find themselves on their knees before the hand of God and the face of God shows up and He, and he, and he begins to quicken us. He begins to forgive us of our sins as we begin to repent. God help us. While God is always present, while God is always with us, revival is not something that just happens through a series of services. Revival takes place when the people of God adjust themselves to the presence of God and they humble themselves before Him. And they allow God to do the difficult things of Pulling things away from us. It won't be a doctrine that saves us. It won't be some theological venue that exigent that transforms us. But it will be the presence of God interrupting our, our daily plan. And God saying, this is what I'm looking for. It might not be written in your theological books. It might not look like you thought it would look. But this is me. And this is how I'm going to do it. Will you trust me? Will you surrender to me? Will you let me have my way? Thank you, Josh, for that word earlier that sometimes it gives us blue and yellow when we're asking for green, but ultimately it is God who says, I'll give you what you need for righteousness, for holiness, but you will have to trust me because when it comes together, it will look like I want it to look and not the way you want it to look. Amen. Amen. When I think of this, I, I think of the circumstance that Jeremiah was in when he began to share when, when the Lord spoke to him this word, because if you look back at Jeremiah chapter 33, and you look at verse 1, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the second time, while he was still confined in the court of the guard, saying, when you look at that word confined, it literally means shut up. How many times do we feel confined? How many times do we feel shut up? And, 
and, and overwhelmed by the circumstances we find ourselves. I think too many times we use an excuse to say, well, my circumstances aren't conducive to me worshiping God. And God's saying, no matter where you are, no matter what circumstances you find yourself, no matter what trouble it's overwhelming you, no matter what sin has affected you, I'm still God. I'm still on the move. I, nothing can stop me because I am able to do far above what you may ask or think. Will you trust me in the midst of your darkness? Will you trust me in the midst of your trial? Will you trust me when you don't understand me? Will you trust me? God's saying, I'm right here with you. I'm right here to touch you. I'm right here for you to experience me. And this is the, this is the confinement that here Jeremiah found himself. Why was he there? Why was he being confined? Why was he finding himself in that predicament? Well, you realize that if you go back to chapter 32 and you read what was going on, the king Zedekiah was actually, had actually confined him had locked him up had shut him up and it's because it's because the king didn't like what he said i mean oh the world may not like what you say the world's not going to be happy with your declarations the world's not going to be happy with with the things that the spirit of the lord put in you because the world doesn't align itself it walks by the flesh and we walk by the spirit there's no correlation, it doesn't connect, and therefore they won't understand what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. So when the Spirit of the Lord speaks, we can't be quiet, we can't be silent, we have to speak whatever the Spirit of the Lord says, no matter what the consequences. And so therefore you hear, he begins to declare a word of the Lord the first time, and he's locked up, and Zedekiah says, why can't you say something good? That's the PDV version. Why can't you say something good? Why are you declaring that, that our nation will be captured by the Babylonians? Why are you saying these things? Why, are, why do you have to put this out there? Because, look, we're, we're sitting here fighting. We're going to win this thing. And he said, look, I'm sorry, king, but thus saith the Lord. And so we might find ourselves in, in situations that we don't feel like we're justified to be in. We might find ourselves in hurtful struggles that we we wonder God why are you allowing these things to happen and God saying even in the midst of your pain even in the midst of your loneliness even in the midst of your confinement even in the midst of your emotional battles I'm here to speak a word to you will you listen you know I love the fact that the, the, the next verse says this Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it, to establish it. The Lord is his name. You know, I think about this passage is as if the Lord is wanting them to understand that he's coming from a place of covenant. Yahweh. This is the almighty God. This is the God who made covenant with Israel. This is a God who, who spoke to Israel, who loved on them. Even when they were not a nation, he made them a nation. Even when they were not a people, he made them a people. Even when they were not living in, in, in the realms that he wanted them to live, he called them by name. He called them out. He was their chosen generation, a chosen people who he loved, who, who he sanctified, who he cleansed to be his people. 
And so in this declaration that he's making to Jeremiah, he says, I know where you're at. I know the struggle you're facing. I know the situation. But let me, let me encourage you that I am true to my promise. Somebody needs to hear that this morning, that God is true to his promise. Even when we don't understand it, even when we're wondering, God, you said that you would do this. God, you said you would do that. And we're still holding God to a standard. And God's saying, if I have promised it, if I have said it, you don't have to believe it or not. It will happen because I am God. I'm a covenant God. I don't break my promise. I am true to who I say that I am. He said, I Will you trust me? Will you believe me? Know that I have made a promise, a covenant with you. I am Yahweh. I am God. I'm the God who delivered you out of bondage. I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. I am the God who provided manna when there was no food. I am the God who was able to do bring water out of rock. I am that God. And the same God who, is li- who led you then is the same God who's leading you now. Will you trust me? Amen. I'm quiet this morning. Who's been a cough lately? Little amen. Can I get an amen? amen. Oh, that was, I, feel, ooh, I feel a little better now. I'm, I'm starting to say I'm going to have to amen myself. Amen. To recognize who is speaking is Yahweh. Reminding us of the covenant relationship that he has. Now I want us to understand that, that even Christ Jesus, though we understand is a new covenant from God for us. A covenant of grace. A covenant that, we, that, that we're covered by the blood of Jesus. We've been transformed by the power of Jesus. We're now walking as new creatures. There's a whole lot of people who struggle with walking as new creatures. Come on. We've had chip replacement, so to speak. You know, we... But, but yet somewhere down the way, the DOS memory's still there. Some of y'all understand a little bit of old computer stuff. You're still trying to program something, and God's saying, let me get the plug and play, all right? Let me help you understand that there's a new living way. There's a way that's so much simpler if you'll just trust me. There's a new covenant and if you will rely on me, I will, I will be the one who presents you to the Father. I will be the one who has the sacrifice that's once and for all, for all of your sin, but you have to walk in me. You have to trust in me. You have to know that I am the Lord, your God. Amen. And in that conversation of reminding him that this is a covenant relationship, and reminding him that this is, this is a God who made promises, this is the same God who said that he would be with them even in the midst of their trial. This is the same God who's delivered them out of so many things. And in that same context, in that understanding of knowing that he is God, he's able to say, call on me. You know, Vic, is it hard if I embarrass you for a minute? Since I embarrassed your son last week, I'll embarrass you this week. You know, my, my air condition went out Friday. And I called Vic. I said, Vic, you in town or out? He said, I'm on my way in. I said, praise the Lord. <laughs> but the thing is, is that you know, 
I could have called anyone else. But there's something about Vic because I know he has a, a knowledge and a relationship with the equipment that I need help with. Come on. Some of you would have come and you would have looked at that machine and said, Betty, that's an old one. You better get rid of that. Some of you would have looked at that thing and said, I don't know. You'd have held my hand and you'd have cried with me. Right? Y'all know. But Vic has an intimate relationship with these machines because he works on them all the time. So I called on someone who had an understanding of my situation, who had an ability to do something about it. Amen? And God's saying, look, I'm able to do something about your problem. I'm able to do something about your situation. I have an intimate knowledge of you because when you were in your mother's womb, I was finally knitting you. I was putting you together. I was calling you by name. I know all about you. I know the struggles you've been from, from A to Z. I know all about everything you have thought, everything you've struggled with. If you will just call on me. Look, we go to doctors and thank God for doctors. Thank God for nurses. But according to my understanding, they're practicing medicine. And, and they're looking at my body and they're thinking, well, okay, this could be that. And this could be this. And, and thank God that there still could be something there. <laughs> but ultimately, the one who knit me together knows every fiber, every sinew, every joint, every marrow, everything about me. So why would I not call on the great physician? Why would I not call on the one who brings intimate knowledge of my blueprint together and says, I know all about you. Let me open the book. Let me share with you what's going on in your world. Let me help you understand the truth about who you are because I know you. And it is that God who says, call on me and I will answer you too busy we're in our intimate moments and we're picking up the phone and we're calling sister so-and-so mm -hmm. and we like to call them and say we did you know did you know or how do you feel about and all along if we would just get on our knees, the one who knows truth can bring revelation. The one who's intimately in, in connection with every single one of his children knows all about us, can give us a revelation that no one else can give. And that's the problem with the news today. Too many people sharing their opinions instead of the facts. And the opinions are like noses. Everybody's got one. Sometimes they're like ears and they got two. Sometimes they're like toes and they got ten. So you can't keep up with what opinion they have today or tomorrow. But God knows. And he says, if you will call on me, I will show you great and mighty things. Which you know, I will show you unsearchable things. I will show you hidden things. I don't know about you, but I love playing hide and seek. As long as I get to find it sometime. And God said, if you'll just follow my roadmap, 
I'll show you the truth. Amen. But ultimately, when we see this, it's not necessarily that God's saying, call on me, but he's reminding them that he's already called them. Come on. Is it all right? It's getting a little warm. Some of y'all who feel cold, here's my jacket. It's nice and hot and could be sweaty. Because when you think the, the reality is, is he says, call on me, but he's saying, call on me out, a, out of a previous revelation that he has given them. Because he's saying in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, 4, he said, if my people who are called by my name. In other words, he's saying out of a previous revelation that he's already given them that when they fall into trouble and when they go through trials and when the heavens seem shut up and when their crops aren't producing and when their animals aren't providing, he says, if my people who are called by my name. I don't know about you, but he's not saying if you worldly heathens will call on me. No, he said if my people who are called by my name will what? Humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. Then I will forgive their sins. And then I will heal their land. Somebody needs to call on the Lord. Amen. Amen. And so when I imagine the idea of wanting revival Revival doesn't begin by a series of services. A, a move of God doesn't begin just because we invite a high-powered preacher to come in who has a specific anointing to speak a specific word. But revival comes when a people of God will humble themselves before God and repent from their wicked ways and turn from those ways and submit themselves to God. Amen? So there's a difference because I believe that we, God wants us to have an awakening Amen? But there's a difference between revival and awakening. How many understand that? I mean, we, we're... I ain't getting there yet. Revival is something intimate. It's something personal. Revival is... Uh, the, the, it's two Latin words put together. Re and vive. Or in Spanish, it's vive. It means again... To live. Cuantos son vive en este lugar? How many are alive in this place? Vive. In other words, this, the same word vive is the same word used in Spanish for live. Come on. And so therefore, therefore God is looking for a people who are willing to live. Live again, if you will. Come on. And so to be revived means that we have been to a place where we have struggled. We have encountered death. We've encountered hardship. We've encountered struggles. We, we feel like we're drying up. It's like David said, I feel like I'm in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. How many have felt that place? How many know what I'm talking about, right? And so David uh, was able to accurately uh, understand the necessity of revival in his situation and so therefore, he cried out in a later scripture, he says, he says, as the deer panteth for the water, so doth my soul long after you, God. Come on. And so reviving is getting to a place of understanding that I'm in the pit and that I'm struggling with life and I need a resuscitation 
And the only resuscitation that can happen is when the presence of God enters my dead corpse and brings life to my spirit man and gives me a truly reviving moment. And so when that takes place, it is a phenomenal experience. How many have ever had personal revival? I remember as a, a young man, in about 11 years old, and the spirit, no, 16 years old, and the spirit of the Lord was so strong that I was in the back of the church, and, 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 and they were dancing, and they were giving God praise in the front, but the, the heaviness of God came on me, and I, I couldn't walk. I, I literally fell to the floor and felt this heaviness, and I did an army crawl all the way to the front of the church because there was something there that I wanted. There was something more that I, I had to get a hold of. I just couldn't stand in the back of the church because I saw people rejoicing at the front and I wanted to get from there to there and I was willing to do whatever it took. It didn't matter what it looked like. It didn't matter what anybody else thought about it. All I know is that God was in the house and the presence of the Lord was real and I just want to have more of it. I remember being transformed that night. God absolutely just wrecked my world in a, in a fresh and living and wonderful way. But I'm reminded, I'm reminded of, of great awakenings that took place in history. Like the Wells Awakening. I think it's Evan Jacobs, who, Roberts, Evan Roberts, who was the initial person of that revival. And just like him... He came into a church service, and the revivalist preached the message, and, and the message stirred his spirit, and what stuck with him is that, bend us, God. And he began to dwell on that, God, bend us. And, and the Lord just began to stir his spirit and transformed his life, and, and he felt this call to preach, and the preacher, uh, the preacher wouldn't let him preach. The preacher said, well, we'll invite people to stay after church, and if they stay after church, then, then you can preach to them. Come on. But when you're hungry for God, you're willing to stay if there's two people. Seventeen people stayed the first night. And God stirred that 17 people. And that 17 people turned into 100,000 people by the end of the Wells Revival. And God miraculously transformed the whole society. And so the difference between revival and awakening is, is when a group of people experience personal revival. And that personal revival begins to stir in one after another. And it begins to run like wildfire through a church and then through a community. That it causes a great awakening. And I believe that we need a great awakening. Amen? When you look at our society today, there, there's a society called the woke society. You hear that? Y'all heard being woke? In reality, what it is, is that there has been an awakening of an understanding. There's been an awakening of injustice or whatever might be what has fueled that. Uh, whether, whatever political side you fall on, you might have different views of what has continued to fuel that fire. But reality is, it's a society that has been woke because of an of an injustice or something like that but how much more does the body of Christ need a revival that awakens them so that we become awoke for the glory of God that then begins to stir all of society to become more moral and find their way closer to him I mean reality is is that you know we can go back and we can look at 
you know, the Pensacola Revival. We can look at the Toronto Revival. We can look at the Wales Revival. We can look at the Azusa Street Revival. And we can see where those particular revivals sparked an awakening in societies as it affected not just the community, but it affected whole countries. When you look at even the Church of God, the Church of God uh, as the Christian Union was founded in 1886. And, but yet it wasn't until the early 1900s that they experienced that that uh, they experienced the Pentecostal power of God at the Azusa Street Revival. And Thomason came back and began to share that message with a group of people that spread from church to church. And then we became a, an awakening church, a revivalist church that now has over 13,000 people attending. I'm sorry, 13 million people attending in sanctuaries all around the world because of, a, of an awakening moment that took place in the early 1900s. What will it take for us today to be awakened again? Because when I read this passage of scripture tonight, and I see the move of God, and, and you look just down below, and it says that he hid his face from them because of the wickedness. I don't know what judgments may come to our culture, our society, because of the lack of truly experiencing God, the lack of truly chasing after God, as we, as we sang earlier. But I will say this, I don't know what consequences that we're going to have to face, whether it's pandemics or whatever it may be, but I do know this, that even in the midst of pandemics, God could speak again. God could speak again. If you go through the, the book of Jeremiah chapter and through the chapter 33, you can see that there's a process. There was a process of understanding that, that God spoke to them. God proved to them that he shared with him out of a, a, an understanding of, a, of his covenant person. And then he shared with them a formula of calling on him and then he said this was what's going to happen these there's going to be judgment and because i've hid my face from them in their wickedness but yet then he begins to share with them the promised relationship of restoration let me tell you something i don't know how long we'll have to go through the things we go through i don't know how much we will have to struggle with all that's going on around the world i don't know the personal struggle and how long you'll have to face it but all I can tell you is this, that even in the midst of judgment of the nation, God can still speak into your spirit and he can give you hope and he can give you life because in this world you will have troubles and tribulations, but be of good cheer, my brothers, for I have overcome the world. He said, you can trust me. You can trust me. And he goes on and, and out of all of this, the people would... He said that in the streets where there's been desolation, in the places where there's, where there's not been habitation, I will tell you that once again there'll be praise. Once again there'll be joy. Once again there'll be the worship. Once again there'll be times where you will see me face to face and you will glory in my name. There'll be times for this. He said, and in those times, I will raise up a righteous branch. I will raise up a righteous branch. Let me tell you something, I'm believing. We understand what the righteous branch is. We understand that this is 
the Messiah. He's talking about the Messiah being raised up out of the lineage of David. And let me encourage you that, that God has raised up a righteous branch. Amen? But, and I believe that as Jesus has said, I am the vine and you are the branches. I believe that we are extensions of his presence because when we have been found in him, we become branches to the world and we become life-giving, we become hope-giving, we become those who bring about the righteousness of God because of our relationship and our connectivity to him. So in the midst of becoming a righteous branch, I pray that somehow we don't become a stick in the mud. Because at times, there's a difference between a branch and a stick in the mud. Come on. Because a stick in the mud has been cut off from the life. And has fell to the ground. And has found itself in the miry clay. And it has no significant value because it's no longer connected to the life-giving source. It's no longer a part of God's branch. It's no longer able to bud and bring forth life and hope. It's no longer able to show forth fruit of its labor. But God's called us to be a righteous branch. And the only way that we're going to experience an awakening of our society unless we have personal revival. And I don't mean to bring condemnation in any way, but I mean to encourage you to allow God to move in you once again. I'm encouraging you to make the Word of God a priority of your life, to make a time of, of, of kneeling before God and spending Time with him in relationship where he is speaking into you and you are able to worship him, giving a time to God that he's able to refresh you. You walk around, burnout, wore out, struggling, and he's saying, would you come to me that I may give you life? Don't get weary in well-doing. Don't get struggling in, in, in a religious process, but come and let me bring life into you. Let me breathe freshness over you. Drake, you better get up here and close, man. I know you're soaking it all in this morning. That's good stuff. But I just believe God wants to stir personal revival in this church. But not just this church, but in the body of Christ around the world. Look, we live with so many people focused on political agendas so many people focused on you know elections and, and, and agendas and all these things and God's saying would you focus on me would you surrender that to me look yes we have civil duty yes we should we should vote and we should do research to make sure that we're voting for the right people. Those are things we, that absolutely we need to do as a citizen of an earthly country. But there's a country that supersedes. There's a, a kingdom, Jewel, that supersedes 
every king and kingdom of this world. Because he says this, that the kings and kingdoms will pass away, but my word will stand forever. So why would we be running to things that are temporal rather than get into this that is eternal? Because when we follow the eternal word of God, the living, powerful, two-edged sword of the Spirit that God has given us, when we allow this to be ingested into us, it begins to form and shape and prepare us to be able to speak truth in love. It allows us to be able to make decisions not based on fleshly emotional ideas and ideologies that have been man-made, but then it allows us to speak what God himself has ordained and established even before we were ever a twinkle in our mother's eye. God allows this word to stand and establish so that we can follow him and we can see the peace of God in our life around the world. I want revival. Am I experiencing the the dancing and the shouting and the woo all the time? When I fell down yesterday, I hit that rock and plop. Jamie didn't feel too good. I wasn't dancing. I might have been shouting and grimacing a little bit in the process. What am I saying? I'm saying, look, I'm not living in a perpetual revival. Am I living in a perpetual relationship? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm in a relationship with God. Love Him. I know His love is real. But I do know this, just like I got to take this beautiful lady right here on a date night every once in a while, I need a date with God. I need an intimate time where I can sit down, we can communicate, I can cry a little bit, he might cry a little bit. I need a little time where he can put me in my place. He can tell me what, what he needs from me, and, and I can tell him what I need from him. I need a time. And the only way that I will experience personal revival is unless I have the date nights with God. Or the date days, or the date early mornings, or whatever your time is, you've got to have them. Lydia, it felt good to, for your wonderful husband to take you on a date the other day, didn't it? Been since March. March. You ought to be whooped. I mean. I'm just playing. But we need personal revival that will transform us. Because if we are walking in the light of who he is, that light will not be dimmed. That light will not be 
hindered by darkness, but will be accentuated by darkness. Because when we're walking in the light of His presence, He says, walk in, me, walk in the light as I am the light, right? You have fellowship. So when we walk in the light, Pat, we begin to shine light even brighter when darkness comes around. And when we begin to illuminate the darkness, it begins to awaken those who are around us. And when those who are around us are woke, so to speak, they'll say, whoa, what do you got? Because something you got, I got to have. Because just then, I felt something warm. Just then, I was able to see. I haven't been able to see, but just then, your presence, the presence of God, just showed and revealed something to me, and I want more of it. Will you help me? Evan Roberts didn't just preach messages but to disciple people. And everyone who came, he left behind some disciples to disciple others. Guys, we need personal revival that will challenge us to disciple others, that will bring about a movement of God that will transform this world. Can you imagine if every one of us had one person that we were discipling right now? What would that do? If every one of us had somebody that we were, that we have, uh, that God laid on our heart, that we were looking at and saying, you know what, I'm going to bring you in. Yes, you drive me nuts. Yes, you get on my nerves. But some reason or another, you keep hanging around me, so I'm going to teach you something. I was one of those. But just imagine. If every one of us discipled one person of what that would do just in this local congregation, what would that do? What would that do in our workplace? What would that do in our school? What would that do in, the, in, in, in this congregation? It would transform us. And there would be an awakening. This morning, I, I just feel like I feel like there's some folks in here who are sincere, who says, I want to be a part of that move. If that's you this morning, would you just raise your hand where you are? I want to be a part of that move. I want to be a part of that move. Father, right now, right now, God, even where we are, everywhere's an altar in this place. Right where we are, we make an altar. And Lord, right now, Father, we, as we sang earlier, I surrender all. Right now, Father, we say, I surrender all. All to you, Lord. Everything. All that I am, all that belongs to me, God, I lay before your feet. And Lord, I ask, God, that you would bring an awakening to our heart. Lord, as we humble ourselves before you, God, I pray that there'll be a revelation that allows us to see if there's wickedness in our heart. A revelation that allows us to see that if there's anything hindering our walk with you, God. Today, I pray that you'll bring conviction in us. 
And Lord, in that conviction, people who are called by your name will then begin to call on you because as we call on you, you can then begin to bring a revelation of life to us, a revelation of hidden truths, a revelation of things that are unsearchable that God, you want to share with us. I pray that Lord, that this will be a stirring of our spirit, that this will be not just a Sunday morning message but God, a message that drives us to our home places, a message that drives us to our word. And God, that on a, on a daily basis, we begin to digest the word of God that transforms us. Lord, develop a hunger in us. Develop a thirst in us. Let revival begin in us. In Jesus' name. There's an old song that says, let's have revival from the pulpit to the pews. Let's have revival that starts with me and you. And it reaches down to a lost and hungry world to bring them in. This is our joy. It's our survival. Let's pray for a Holy Ghost revival. Let's have a revival. Come on. How many know that song? About three of you. Amen. Come on, guys, bring this. I don't think that's in the hymn book, is it? The hemp hill. We're going to distribute a few baskets, and then we're going to dismiss. These are our these are our 